Mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. the middle of that line and it's a touchdown big return for Crowder 85 yards pass thrown there was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete they got pressure on Prescott it was Adams who came blitzing in he'll hit immediately he got the handoff you know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. oh my gosh listen thank you from the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And it's part two of the weekend mailbag, so that means we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Chris, next question comes in from John. He says, What do you gentlemen think of the Hall of Fame class of 2020? I got to be honest, Chris, I look at the names here, especially the ones that aren't on the veterans committee, because we got to go through some of those, I guess. But as far as the guys that were actually put in on the regular ballot, and to me, these are all pretty much no brainers. Steve Atwater was an absolute beast at safety, eight time pro bowler. He hit guys so hard that their great grandchildren would feel it. Isaac Bruce, just a tremendous wide receiver. There are some people that would say he was a bit of a system fit there with the Rams, but you just can't deny the dominance that he had for all those years, particularly in the Bob and Weave offense. But even with Kurt Warner and Mark Bulger, he did really, really fantastic work. So I don't think you could argue that. Steve Hutchinson, who doesn't get talked about enough mostly because people don't really talk about offensive linemen, but he was one of the best guards I've ever seen. So no question here to me. A lot like Kevin Mawai, but at the guard position, just a freak athlete and chiseled in granite where most of these offensive linemen are not built that way. But he was a guy that was like single digit body fat for an offensive lineman, could move, could block, could do everything. Him and Walter Jones were a phenomenal tandem in Seattle. So no question that he deserved to go in there. Edron James. If you watch football when Edrum James was in his prime, there's really not much to say here. When the Colts traded Marshall Falk, I thought it was insane, and then Edrum James turned out to be a very worthy successor. Not quite as good as Marshall Falk, but hey, let's be honest, very few guys in the history of professional football have been as good as Marshall Falk, but still a dominant elite running back for many years with the Colts, so no-brainer. And then Troy Palamalu, who is one of the greatest strong safeties to ever play the game, and right now that's the guy that you hope that Jamal Adams could be even 75% as good as. His instincts were absolutely incredible, 
Anytime the ball was somewhere, he knew where it was going before it even got there. He would make tackles. He would make interceptions, pass breakups, sacks. He could do literally everything on the football field. And to me, Troy Palomalu is an interesting case because you could look at guys that are freak athletes but just don't have that innate football knowledge, that football smarts, the instincts it takes to pull off plays like that on a down-to-down basis, the ability to always know where the ball is going to be, but Troy Palomalu did, and he was one of the greatest defensive players I ever saw. And then we should also talk real briefly about some of the older players and executives and coaches that got in. Jimmy Johnson got in, as everybody saw on Fox. I think he absolutely deserves it. Several Super Bowls, and he was the architect of that Dallas dynasty. Those picks were absolutely phenomenal, building that team up. The Herschel Walker trade obviously played a huge role in his ability to do that, but... He still had to take those picks and hit on them, and he did. And look at that offensive line that he built. Look at just the overall roster that he built. It was basically a decade of sustained contention that the Cowboys were put in because of the moves that Jimmy Johnson made, and I thought that he was a really good coach as well. Didn't do as well in Miami, but a lot of times these guys don't do as well second time around. Bill Cowher got in. I'm going to be honest, never thought he was an elite coach. Thought he was fine, but... There were a lot of times where Steelers fans would get very restless with him and would talk about maybe trying to get rid of him. So I don't know about him as a Hall of Famer, but it was going to happen. George Young, mostly for his incredible run with the New York Giants and what he did there, helping to build teams that would go and win multiple Super Bowls. So that one makes sense. Another one on the list that I saw, Chris, that was really funny was Alex Karras, a defensive tackle for the Detroit Lions. Now, it was funny to me because Alex Karras would later go on to play Webster's father on the sitcom Webster. So there were a whole generation of people that grew up not even knowing that he was a football player, just knowing him as Webster's dad, which is really hilarious to me. And then Winston Hill is another one that we look at as Jets fans and as people that understand the history and realize that Winston Hill, one of the most dominant offensive tackles in the history of the game, the best offensive tackle that the Jets have ever had, four-time AFL All-Star, four-time NFL All-Pro. He could do everything out there on the football field. Again, he could move. He was powerful. He could run block and pass block. And if you talk to teammates and guys that were around him back then, whether it was coaches or scouts, you could talk to Connie Carberg, obviously, about this. He was an absolute force out there, so I'm glad to see him finally get in. And Steve Sable, whose father, Ed, founded NFL Films, and then Steve really helped take it to the next level. If you're somebody that grew up an NFL fan in the 80s and 90s, you know what Steve Sable meant to the NFL with NFL Films. The songs, the productions, the videos, just incredible stuff. This was long before this was all available at our fingertips on YouTube and different video streaming services. The lifeblood of all of it was NFL Films, and Steve Sable did a phenomenal job of bringing that brand to the next level. So I really like this class, Chris. We could talk about the veterans a little bit, but obviously some are going to be lesser known than others because most people probably didn't get the opportunity to watch some of these guys play in their prime. But the ones who went in from the regular vote, most of us did get to see, and I think they're all very deserving. Yeah, I've had this take before about how I don't really get invested and pay much attention to the Hall of Fame. Um, and same thing when uh, debates about you know who should be the MVP or whatnot. I just I just don't don't really care. I I have my opinions on players, and then I, I think they're Hall of Fame, and that's that's where I really stop caring. Um, but I did look 
I saw the finalists before they announced the actual class and I looked at the list and I was like, Oh man, I was like, hey, give me Palomalo, give me Atwater. And then basically pick whichever three out of the rest you want. I mean, I certainly have no complaints about Isaac Bruce and Edron James and Steve Hutchinson going in there. They're, they're all super deserving of it and belong in the hall of fame. But I mean, I think Tony Baselli belongs in the Hall of Fame, and I get the argument against him, the uh, the longevity thing, but he, when he played and was healthy, he was so dominant, and it was a long enough time of dominance that I, I he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Vanica belongs in the Hall of Fame. Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne, uh, like these guys, Leroy Butler, Bryant Young, Richard Seymour, John Lynch, like th- this – I was sitting there looking at this list like, yeah, I do not envy the Hall of Fame voters for this year because there are some tough choices. Again, I I would have gone Palomalo and Atwater. That probably partially a little bit my uh, defensive back bias, but Palomalo and and Ed Reed are the two greatest safeties I've ever seen. Atwater was such a hard hitter, so much fun to watch. Um, so the, those two guys I would have put in, and then you really could have taken your pick uh, at, of any of the other three, and I would have been all right with it. This was a really difficult class to just choose five. Um, I will say with the, uh, you know, the Paolo Malu, Jamal Adams comparison thing there, you're right, the, the 75% thing. I think <clears throat> Jamal, the difference between Paolo Malu and Jamal is Paolo Malu's range. Jamal doesn't have anywhere near that type of range to be, you know, uh, play the center field and a type of a spot and go sideline to sideline quite like that. But it's the, the instincts, the, his ability to know what's happening and to just assess it and just right at the snap, just be exactly where he needs to be that. And that's right there. He just doesn't have Palomalo's range. So, um, but yeah, again, any there. This was such a great uh, class of finalists that you really could have picked any of those other three, and I would have been good with it. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. 
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Chris, last thing, as always, got to ask. You've been watching anything lately? Movies, TV shows, anything cool? Uh, you know, uh, the curb started up again, so I've been enjoying that. The last episode really, <laughs> the last episode killed me, especially the way that they ended it. Oh, man. That, <laughs> him pressed up against the back of that elevator. I was dying at that. Um, yeah, the good place just ended. I'm a little bit sad about that. I watched this new Netflix show. I just... Just finished watching it. It's called The Stranger. It's a wild show. It, it, it takes place in England. Uh, it, it's a wild show. I don't even know how, how to explain it, but it, it's a it's fun and wild, crazy. Uh, but I, I started watching that show, The Outsider, on, on HBO. I like that so far. Um, but uh, not too much new. I know Brooklyn Nine-Nine just started up the new season. I didn't get to watch that yet. I was watching the – the Vic documentary last night. So um, I'm going to look forward to watching uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine again uh, later tonight. But yeah, the right now I, I'll say uh, I'll go with the recommendation of The Stranger on Netflix. Uh, that was a wild, a crazy show. It was, it was out there a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying Curb again. The first episode was really funny. The second one too. The third one was really good. Some of the interactions, it's just classic stuff. You love when Larry goes toe-to-toe with Susie, Jeff's wife, who's played by Susie Essman. That's always hilarious. And I got to tell you, it's funny because I'm sure that when they did that storyline a couple of years ago with Vivica A. Fox and her family moving into Larry David's home because their home was destroyed in Hurricane Katrina, they never in a million years imagined that J.B. Smoove would become the hit that he is and that he would still be on the show and they would have found a way for him to stick around. But, man, he really broke out that season, and he is still hilarious to watch interact with Larry David. The part in the first episode, and I won't give away too much for people that didn't see it, but the part where Larry comes home really late night and J.B. Smoove is interrogating him. And he's like, come on, Larry. He's like, where were you? These are tapping hours, Larry. These are tapping hours. You were tapping ass. These are tapping ass hours. Like That just killed me because J.B. Smoove is so funny with his physical comedy and his delivery. So I love watching those two interact. Richard Lewis also is always funny interacting with Larry David because you get the impression that the two of them are really like that when they go out to lunch in real life that there's no difference between the two of them on a curb and the two of them when they go to a deli or something for lunch so I always enjoy that show a lot and it's fun to see all the weird cameos because you know that Larry David has a lot of famous friends so sometimes they pop in and out it's funny because I was talking to Michael Nania the other day 
and he just started the show. He had heard about it for years and decided to dive in, so he binge-watched, and he finally caught up. So I said to him, what do you think of it so far? And he goes, it's pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. So <laughs> it makes me laugh. But yeah, I was really happy to have Curb back. It's funny because like Curb is one of those shows, Chris, I think that you either love it or you don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, especially when they were pumping out uh, season after season more consistently, it started to get a little bit thin there at the end. Um, I, I loved when they, you know, brought all the Seinfeld people back. That season was great. And then obviously when they, they did that Bill Buckner episode, that was like a highlight. Those early seasons, though, man, you know, when, when he brings the prostitute with them and so yes. he can ride the and the carpool lanes. I mean, just he's just so absurd and over the top of and it's just so great. And it's just I, I just can't get enough of it. And uh, you know, now at this point it's I love that they he takes, you know, he'll be like, Yeah, we'll be back eventually. You know, may maybe it's a year, maybe it's three or four years because he, he really takes his time with it and builds it. But yeah, it, it's definitely you either get that type of humor um, or don't. And also, like, realize that, like, while, yes, there's some truth to a lot of things, it's also part of, like, it, it's like it all exists in Larry's head. Like, things that he <laughs> wishes he could do or be more like. This is the type of thing that, like, people would like to do. Just be like, get away from me. But most people don't have the balls to actually do. But he does it in the show, and it's just, it's just hilarious. I love the episode with Crazy Eyes Killer, and I don't want to give it away, but there are rumors that he may be making an appearance this season at some point. I thought it was hilarious, too, because I was reading an interview with the guy who played Crazy Eyes Killer, and they were asking about it because it's become one of the most iconic episodes of the series and his character has been one that people still talk about even though he was only in one episode and he said basically they had an idea for it and they just ran with it there was no script or anything it was just an outline which is pretty much the way that Larry David does these things and he just goes and runs with it I'm always amazed at how people can do that it takes such a special talent another guy that I know used to do that was Neil Flynn who played the janitor on Scrubs from what I understand, they never actually scripted stuff for him. He would just come up with whatever. So Bill Lawrence, who was the executive producer of the show and who was the head writer, they would write a script and then it would say, like, here's Zach Braff's line. Here's Sarah Chalk's line. And for Neil Flynn, it would say whatever Neil comes up with. That sounds like uh, Jason Mandukas, the uh, uh, Rafi from the league. Uh, yes. Pimento from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, I, I've been, as I was rewatching The Good Place, I was listening to this podcast uh, that's hosted by somebody on The Good Place, but he's also um, uh, Holt's husband on Brooklyn 999, and, or 99, and uh, uh, they would talk uh, talk about the show, it's all about, the podcast is about The Good Place, and uh, about Jason Mandukas is how, like, in The Good Place, it's so structured and it's so high, it's such a high concept show, there's not a lot of room for improvising, even though mo all the people are really good at improvising, but for Jason Mandugas, they just they just throw their hands up because this, he <laughs> he's just going to improvise no matter what, and it always ends up being funnier than whatever they imagined for him. So they just like, yeah, all right, go with it. I always enjoy that; it cracks me up, and I love the fact that, like you said, 
the early season stuff sometimes could get a little bit repetitive, but now that they've spaced it out, I know that some people say that it's not as good as the early seasons, and it isn't. The early seasons are still the best. It has its moments where it hits there. Yeah, no question. I still enjoy it, though, and that's really all that matters. And I think that Larry David portraying, I guess, a slightly exaggerated version of himself is just never going to get old. I will say the only thing that I think was missing, and anybody that's a longtime fan I think will agree with this, was Bob Einstein, who plays Marty Funkhauser. He also was well-known for the character he created, Super Dave Osborne, but he had passed away in between the last season of Curb and the one that just started. So RIP to Bob Einstein, he was missed. And he played a key role in that episode you talked about too, Chris, where Larry picked up the prostitute to drive in the diamond lane because remember, then he went and he got to the Dodgers game and he wanted to sit with Marty, but Marty was keeping the seat empty for the memory of his father. And then Larry started yelling, what are you talking about? It's an empty seat. And he wouldn't let him sit there. And that became a whole typical Larry David fight that is completely ridiculous, but was hilarious when you watch it play out so that was the one thing that I thought was missing and he's definitely going to be missed going forward absolutely yeah and then I they made a comment about him in one and yes. I think it was the last episode and it was he's alive but somewhere else and that kind of threw me off uh but yeah no no he's 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 hilarious he used to come on the Lebertard show a lot too and like he he had like a a, a very uh, more of a hate relationship with them because they'd ask him to do so many silly things. Uh, but it was he'd call in and just leave voice messages for him and just super frustrated. And every time I've ever seen or heard him, he would just have me rolling and dying. He had a great rant about uh, Gronk being a polar bear and how could you possibly ever stop him? Um, every single thing I've ever time I've ever heard him open his mouth, he just had me dying. He was a great character in Curb, and I really enjoyed what he did as Super Dave as well. So, like I said, Bob Einstein, RIP, you are going to be missed. And that is going to wrap up the mailbag, Chris. So thanks again for joining me, as always. Really appreciate it. I know you've got a lot cooking in the offseason right now as we head up to free agency. You and Nanny are writing material fast and furiously over at JetsInsider.com. So what do you got going on over there? Yeah, well, Natty has been doing a lot more faster and a lot more furiously than me lately. I've had a bunch of other stuff going on. But he's got a bunch of free agent profiles up there. Uh, He's been focusing on the offensive line a lot. So go ahead and check those out. Starting next week, I'm going to pump out a lot more stuff, too. I'm just going to – I'm going to go through roster breakdown, all the positions that they need to address, they need to try to upgrade. I'm going to start – I started a little bit of tape uh, looking at some of these college prospects. So I'm going to keep doing more of that, but I'll, I'll do some more, uh, you know, game planning for free agency stuff coming up soon. Uh, I'm starting next week. I'm going to have a lot more content up there, but right now Nanny has got a bunch of free agent profile stuff up there as well. So go ahead and check that out. Remember to follow Chris on Twitter at C Nimbly and at Jets Insider. Go to JetsInsider.com to read his very big deal work and the work of Michael Nania. And if you missed any of the podcasts from this past week, you're really missing out. So go ahead and give them a listen. On Monday, Michael Nania joined me to get into part four of the Sam Darnold project. We've been going through every single snap of Sam Darnold's young career. We just finished the 2018 season. Michael graded all the plays, graded all the games. He's got a color-coded chart 
a really clear explanation for how he came up with these grades. We went through all of it. The last four games of the 2018 season this past week, it's a treat to listen to because that was one of the best stretches of Darnold's career so far. He was really, really good after he came back from injury. So if you didn't get to that yet, go ahead and give that a listen. On Tuesday, we did another roundtable. This time, it was with the great Daryl Slater who was returning to the show. He's got an interesting perspective because he spent part of the season on the inside covering the Jets and part of the season on the outside covering the Giants and the rest of the NFL. He's back on the Jets beat now, so he's been going back and forth a little bit, but he has the perspective of somebody who spent half the season inside the Jets bubble and half the season outside the Jets bubble, so he's got some interesting opinions as always. Did midweek with Manish on Wednesday, got up to date on all the latest surrounding the New York Jets, including the Rick Dennison story, some things involving Antonio Cromartie and Le'Veon Bell, and a whole bunch more, so check that out as well. And two more roundtables before we got to the mailbag this weekend. Of course, parts one and two. Part one was yesterday. But the other two involved Christian Winfield, the beat reporter covering the Brooklyn Nets for the New York Daily News. I thought he had some particularly interesting insights on the comparison between Jets ownership and the ownership for the New York Knicks. And then my buddy Chris Walker, president of Retaliate First Marketing, and Ed Valley, CEO of Empire Weather, joined the podcast on Friday for a roundtable. They both had some fantastic insights, but the thing I love about talking to Chris is that he has the mentality of somebody that knows how to connect dots, knows how to see the big picture, and is able to combine his love of the Jets, his love of football, and his ability to understand how to build something from the ground up and give you that point of view. So that's why he's always worth listening to. And this past Friday was no exception. So if you missed any of those podcasts, go ahead and grab them right now. And if you haven't subscribed on iTunes yet or given us a five-star review, we'd really appreciate it if you could do that for us. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money. But it's an enormous help to us. So if you could go ahead and do that. We'd be really grateful, and it does a lot to allow us to continue to bring you the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, and for that, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.